Hello, and welcome everyone to Stand By Me's podcast series. Stand By Me is a partnership between the United Way of Delaware and the State of Delaware that offers free one-on-one support to Delawareans who want to understand more about their money, make good financial decisions, and achieve their financial goals. As fall approaches, many families' thoughts turn to school. And for families with students approaching college enrollment, FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, is a hot topic. There are a number of recent significant changes to the FAFSA, and here today to tell us more about those changes are Corey Dunt and Candace Powell-Kynard from Stand By Me's NextGen program. My name is Candace Powell-Kynard, and I am a financial aid and FAFSA specialist with Stand By Me NextGen, which is a collaboration between the United Way of Delaware and the state of Delaware. I've been with uh, Stand By Me Next Gen since 2013, um, coming from a long background in uh, college admission, college financial aid, and uh, college access services. And Corey? I'm Corey Dunt. I am College Careers and Cash Program Manager, as well as the Sussex County College Funding Project Coordinator. So in my CCC role, I oversee our high school-based financial literacy curriculum statewide. And as the county coordinator, I work with Sussex County Schools to facilitate and and schedule other facilitators for our financial aid offerings. Been with Stand By Me since 2015. I've been the program manager for CCC since 2018, and I've been the county coordinator since 2019. So let's talk about the recent changes to the FAFSA. For example, I understand there's date changes and some ID process changes. Let's start there. The free application for federal student aid and the overall calculation for federal student aid have undergone a, what I would call, seismic change and overhaul for the first time in 40 years. So in addition to changing the application itself, the FAFSA, or the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, they are also changing the calculation. Because of the two congressional acts, the FAFSA Simplification Act and the Future Act, that's a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. because of the amount and the enormity of the work, they've had to change when the application itself becomes available. So typically we've heard it became available on October 1. Now, because of the uh, large scale overhaul of federal student aid, they needed more time. And so now the FAFSA will not become available until sometime in December of 2023. We have not received word yet as to the actual day in December, but we're uh, looking forward to it because we'd really like to get started. And then there was also some ID process changes. What's that all about? The FSA ID stands for Federal Student Aid ID. Uh, It is the successor to the old PIN. Um, Some of us who have done FAFSA in the past uh, will remember the PIN number. Um, In 2015, the FSA ID was launched. Um, It is a username and a password um, that students and parents have so that they can access not only the FAFSA application, but all federal student aid websites. The changes that are coming are students are still going to need it. That's not changing. Parents are still going to need it. That's not changing. But one of the changes is now that 
it's going to take uh, a definite one to three day uh, period of time, excuse me, uh, to verify your identity. Now, there always was a, a verification delay with the FSA ID, but you could use your FSA ID to start a FAFSA to pull over tax records from the IRS and to sign and submit that FAFSA. Now, the FSA ID can be used to start a FAFSA, but it cannot provide IRS consent. It cannot be used to sign a FAFSA until that verification has been completed, which should take one to three days. So in the past, we when we had an appointment or a workshop, um, we can say, do you have an FSA ID? No. Okay, let's create that. Create the FSA ID, move immediately into the FAFSA. That's not going to be possible anymore. So that's one of the major changes. I'd say probably the other major change is that parents without social security numbers can now, not now, but will soon be able to create an FSA ID as well. Um, in the past, those parents would have had to print and sign a physical signature page that they would then send into the federal processor via postal mail. Uh, but there is soon coming a process to have parents without social security numbers be able to have an FSA ID of their own. And they would uh, be able to create that through some knowledge-based questions, which would tie to a credit profile through TransUnion, I believe. Correct, Candace? Yeah, it, it is going to be TransUnion. They're calling them knowledge-based questions. Um, the FSA ID, I think this will make it uh, more fluid and smooth for families to enter into the FAFSA. Um, but those changes are going to impact the 24-25 FAFSA cycle. Um, and one other that is somewhat significant for some families is that all families and students or all parents that are going to be a part of the FAFSA and the student will have to have an email address. And in the past, the email address was optional. And now they have to have that email address. And then there's something new regarding contributor roles for the FAFSA. What does that mean exactly? The language, I think, is the best way to describe what's happening. So to be clear in federal student aid, they're now saying that people contribute to the 24-25 FAFSA. Contributors can include a student that contributes to their own FAFSA, uh, let's say an older student who might be married, their married spouse could be a contributor to the FAFSA. And for students who are in high school or traditional age college students, their parent or parents could be contributors to the FAFSA. So the key, however, is in the beginning of the process, identifying who should be contributing to any given FAFSA. The student, of course, is going to contribute to their own FAFSA. And then they, the determination is, well, which parent would go on the FAFSA? Should it be both parents? If I live at home with both parents, should it be, you know, the parent that doesn't live in my home because of separation or divorce, right? So there's all these questions as to who should be the contributing parent. And the policy um, that exists now for the 24-25 FAFSA is that a um, student who's under the age of 24 and going to be a dependent student 
right, will have at least one parent. And that parent is likely to be, uh, according to the policy, the parent that supports the student financially the most. And so that is now the current policy that is um, different than the way in which they've had it in the past. So in the past, there were other ways that they determined which parent should be on the form. For the new 24-25 FAFSA, it will be the parent that supports the student the most financially. In some cases, this probably won't happen a lot, but in some cases for an independent student who is married, their spouse also may be considered a contributor mm -hmm. um, depending on how they file their taxes. If they file married uh, separately, then that spouse would also uh, be invited to contribute to the FAFSA and add their information, where in the past, an independent married student would simply enter their spouse's information and then continue on with the process. But now uh, there's the potential for that spouse to need an FSA ID and contribute, again, in cases of um, married filed separately tax returns. Any other important FAFSA updates that listeners should be aware of? So one of the significant uh, changes to the 24-25 FAFSA that, that I think um, families, especially any family that's already done this, this will be a change. Um, for the incoming new students, you know, the class of 2025, this will not be a change because they won't have been familiar with, you know, the prior practices and policies. Um, but one thing that all students are going to have to do, so all applicants um, to the FAFSA, they're going to have to consent to the taxes, so their 2022 taxes, um, to be transferred over into their FAFSA form. So previous years, there was also a, a system where you could have your taxes transferred over. But this is a newer system that they're hoping is a little cleaner that all students will have access to. So if you file taxes, then you're definitely providing consent. Your taxes will be transferred over into the FAFSA. If you did not file taxes, you still must provide consent on the FAFSA form saying, yes, I consent to this. However, there won't be any information sent over if, you know, for example, a dependent student didn't file taxes. You still must provide consent, though there, though there won't be any information that will follow over. But all students and at least one parent that may be on the form must provide consent. Now, what happens if they choose not to provide consent? There is an opt-out or a decline way to, you know, decline from consenting. You can continue to fill out the FAFSA form toward the end, but the student will not be considered for federal student aid. So in that respect, all students and their parent that's on the FAFSA must consent. Otherwise, no um, calculation will be made for that family. They will not have a student aid index generated for them, and therefore, no fender, uh, excuse me, federal student aid can be processed for them. That's just how important that's going to be. As far as reporting assets, the the most major change. Uh, will be in the reporting of small businesses and farms. So in the past, if you owned a small business of 100 or fewer employees, 
or if you owned a family farm, uh, you did not have to report those as assets. Um, but it has now changed that uh, the value of that small business has to be reported. The value of that family farm minus the value of the home in which the family lives. These have to now be calculated as assets for the parent contributor. The official process for how those assets net worth of businesses and farms and things like that really has not been revealed. And we're hoping that that gets revealed soon so that we can give good, solid advice to uh, families in those cases. With regard to the 529, and again, the 529 is a college savings program. You are investing money toward approved educational expenses. Families now can be more directed toward reporting the 529 for the student that's going off to college and not other investments. And uh, in the case that a grandparent has opened a 529 to um, support a grandchild, that 529 will not be a part of the calculation process for any given um, particular student that has a grandparent with the 529 it's that where they may be the beneficiary. Those are the two things that have been revealed so far. Since a lot of the focus of the NextGen program is working directly with families to assist with FAFSA completion, I assume you're getting a lot of inquiries about these changes, particularly because, as you mentioned earlier, you say they're seismic changes. They're significant. How are you and your team adjusting to support the community to understand the changes in the FAFSA process as a whole? Candace and myself, as well as Karen Suma, um, a standby me coach and, and a member of our NextGen team, we attended the National College Attainment Network or NCAN's uh, Train the Trainer seminar in Washington in July. It was a, a two-day seminar hosted by NCAN as well as federal student aid um, to kind of introduce college access uh, and financial aid professionals to the changes that are coming. Um, there was a walkthrough of the new form. There was question and answer sessions. There was process change updates. There were what if scenarios that we could get involved in. Um, so the three of us went to that conference and we learned everything that we could and then brought it back to our next gen team um, and put together a presentation, kind of hitting those highlights, knowing that again, we're hitting the highlights of a moving target as we've kind of mentioned already. Um, there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet because federal student aid hasn't released that information and they're going to continually release updates to what we've learned um, up until the FAFSA is released and probably after. So we've done our best to, to fill our team in on what we know. As I also alluded to earlier, Candace, as well as our colleague Jeff Hansen are following all this very closely um, and then sharing their knowledge with the rest of the team and we can disseminate that. So, First, we are dedicated to making sure that our team is fully trained, professional, and that they are up to speed. That is the way in which we have uh, become so successful in helping uh, Delaware in FAFSA completion. Stand By Me Next Gen offers a menu of services to every public and charter school in the state. And those services include paying for college presentations, where you hear about how the whole system works, scholarship presentations that cover 
how you get a scholarship, where to find scholarships and best ways to apply. We have a workshop called Choose Your Own Path that details post-secondary options, college, of course, but it also includes work readiness and the military and the possibility of being an entrepreneur. And then when the FAFSA is revealed, we will hold FAFSA completion workshops, so sometime after December, um, and those can be in-person workshops at schools, as well as online workshops, um, usually through Zoom. New this year, because of the changes, we are also offering FSA ID, so Federal Student Aid ID, that's the username and password, we're offering FSA ID creation workshops that also can be in-person as well as online using Zoom. And so that's uh, kind of the menu of services. We, we also will provide a um, FAFSA walkthrough for uh, families just to see the form, not necessarily to um, get assistance line by line, um, but the walkthrough and the FAFSA completion workshops, those won't happen until the form is revealed in December. Another thing we're excited about is we're going to be doing a little training of the frontline troops in our um, school-based partners, our counselor contacts. Um, so the, the knowledge that we've taken from webinars and conferences and the reading and uh, the training that we've been doing with our team, we're going to take that and provide a professional development session for counselors statewide. Uh, in partnering with the Department of Education and the Higher Education Office, DHEO, as it is. So we're partnering with them to offer a training to the counselors via Zoom um, in September that they can attend, obviously, virtually for professional development credit, which is kind of introducing them to all these changes that we're talking about, all these things that we've been you know, looking at and, and living and breathing and drinking in for, for some time now. And th these counselors have so much to do and, and there's things that are slipping through the cracks, but that's why we've always been there. We've always been there to help them um, when they need the help and to answer those questions and provide those services. And we're going to do that now. Um, and instead of just focusing on the students and the families as we normally do, we're also going to make sure that our counselor partners are well taken care of so that they can answer those questions when parents and students have them and feel confident in those answers and then have us as that, that second line of defense. And that is precisely why we have been so successful because we are really investing in that relationship with our partners at the school. And so that workshop for counselors is a professional development session. It's not um, designed for parents and students, um, but it is a professional development session. So um, it'll be held on Tuesday, September 26th, and we're offering a 9 a.m. session as well as a 6 p.m. session. So any counselors out there who are listening, if you're interested, um, you'll go to your professional development site and register for that. It sounds like you're partnered with all the public schools in the state in some way, right? The, the partnership is in varying degrees. So some schools utilize our entire menu of services. Everything that we offer, they soak it up. And some schools are able to do you know, other things on their own, and they just really need us for something specific. And so 
Um, we're happy to say that we really are, uh, for the most part, uh, supporting and in partnership with all the public schools and the public charter schools in the state, both all three counties. And it sounds like there's a lot of ways that people can learn about everything that you can offer. You've got the Stand By Me website, you've got other referrals, you've got the schools. And just in general, the team seems very robust, organized, accessible, and successful. That seems like a winning combination. What results have you seen from your efforts? The FAFSA application has actually been tied to an increase. There's a relationship between FAFSA completion and an increase in college enrollment. And so from that standpoint, we get really excited about making sure that we um, give an opportunity to every Delaware student to apply and make college more affordable. As of August of 2023, we just learned that uh, our work, by and large, helped Delaware to become third in the nation for FAFSA completion rate. Wow. Right, right? How, how exciting is that, right? So, but what does it really mean? What does it really mean to be third in the nation, right? Oh, that's great, got it on back, yeah, you, but what does it really mean? Well, first of all, it means that we've helped thousands of Delaware students, college students, as well as high school students, to complete applications and better understand you know, how to pay for college. We've helped to make college more affordable from that standpoint. But what's interesting is because of the connection between FAFSA completion and enrollment, other states around the country have made the FAFSA a mandatory requirement, right? So it's called universal FAFSA. Um, and as a matter of fact, a couple of states right now are making the determination as to whether they want to become a universal FAFSA state and require it as a part of high school graduation. Delaware is not going to require the FAFSA for high school graduation as of right now, but we have outpaced seven of the eight states in the country that require it. So without requiring it, Right. We are just organically <laughs> achieving really high numbers and helping out a lot of students in the state of Delaware and all of that hard work and dedication. And, and to be honest, this team is pretty passionate about this work, um, has yielded us third, uh, beating out seven of the eight states that require it. I think it's pretty exciting. I think we were up to like uh, 66 or 67 percent completion rate. Um, we, as of the beginning of August, 6,906 FAFSA completions uh, were recorded uh, for Delaware high school seniors, which is just shy of 4% higher than last year, which doesn't sound like much. Okay, boy, 4%. But to, to realize that we're, we're in, encroaching on 70% FAFSA completion in a state that doesn't require it, um, that's, that's pretty awesome. We're very proud of our third place ranking this year. Pretty awesome. I would say that's absolutely amazingly awesome. And I think it's a huge testament to, like you said, the passion and the commitment in your team. Everything I've always experienced is you all are very thoughtful, very hardworking, continually trying to come up with new ways to reach out to the community. And it's such a benefit to have something like this and your team in the state just supporting all these families that are 
looking at this dizzying array of changes and the and the cumbersome nature of the FAFSA in general and just partnering with them to get them over the line. So thank you so much for all your hard work and your commitment. The, the state is the beneficiary of all of this and all those families that are taking their kids to college. Before we wrap up, anything else you'd like to add? I think it's important for people to know that there are quite a few changes, um, many more changes than we actually can get into the details and into the weeds, um, you know, as a part of this interview and as a part of this podcast. But I think maybe we've whet your appetite a little bit. So please stay tuned. Um, the Stand By Me Next Gen team will be making sure that we are promoting you know, the ways in which these changes impact students, impact schools, um, impact families overall. And so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be promoting and uh, advertising and, and making sure that we notify uh, the state of Delaware about all the changes and how they impact families. Today's podcast has been brought to you by the United Way of Delaware, the state of Delaware, and by our generous partners and donors. For more information, visit www.standbyme.org or facebook.com slash standbymedelaware. If you are in need of emergency food assistance, Delaware 211 is the state's referral hotline. Dial 211 or 1-800-560-3372 or text 898-211 or visit www.delaware211.org.